Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Live from King's Place in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis White and guest co-host Sarah Pascoe talking about activism. Please welcome to the microphone Deborah Francis White. So activism, activism. The thing about activism, I find it is very... um, active, isn't it? And I, by my nature, am quite sedentary. (laughs) I went on the march on the weekend and I read a lot about it afterwards and and I heard a lot of women of colour and women from the LGBT community who were saying, oh, well, you're all active now, you're all scared now, you're all out now, but why weren't you out before? And why weren't you worried when it was more our communities being affected? And that is a fucking good point. Where was I back then? And the answer is on the sofa lying down that's where I was and I feel bad about that now I feel guilty about that because sort of things were going on all right for me and I couldn't really see that as many problems and so for years I did sort of do quite a lot of lying down and I didn't do a lot of marching and I sort of feel I do have to address that now and I do have to acknowledge that now that I kind of didn't see how unfair the world was for people who were not as privileged as I was I don't want you to think I never went on a march I did go on a march I have a friend called Sarah Soleimani Sarah Soleimani is never not on a march before she was successful when she was broke she was always on a march and now every red carpet she's on she treats like a march so years ago she said to me please Deborah come on a march with me and I felt so guilty because she was always on a march and I was never on a march I thought I'm going to get off the sofa I'm going to go on a march with Sarah Soleimani and it was a take back the night march um, which weirdly was in the day and I thought well we'll take back the night later when they give it to us I suppose I don't I don't know um but she said, we'll meet in this, you know, on this corner of this street, at this junction. And, of course, when I got there, I mean, that is the thing about the march. If it's any good, it's very crowded. And the mobile phone signal, it was years ago, so the mobile phone signal was not as good as it is now. And everyone was trying to use their phone, so I couldn't find anyone. I couldn't find Sarah. I couldn't find anybody else. I was on my own, and I had to march on my own in this enormous crowd of people. I'd never been on a march before. And so I'm sort of trying to march and going down, and someone was shouting, 
what do you want? And I was like, I don't know, the night, I think, back. Um, when do we want it? I suppose tonight, if possible. I think probably this, that soon as possible. I'd like the night, night back. That's what I want. And I was marching on and on. I was starting to feel really sort of slightly like, you know, oh, this is a very big crowd, isn't it? It's a very long way. And I didn't know how long we were marching. I didn't know how far we were going. I didn't know where we were going. And I thought, oh, I haven't even asked. I've asked where we're starting. I haven't asked where we're marching to. And I sort of didn't, I just, do I introduce myself? Everyone else seemed to be with friends. And I was just sort of like trying to kind of get in on some friends. It was a bit like being on a hen night where you only know the bride. Um, but she's all the way over there with her best friends. And so you have to make friends with the other B friends and the C friends on the hen night. And you sort of, you know, they won't let you in and play their reindeer games. So, you know, I was like, oh, marching night. Definitely want the night. That's key. Definitely want the night back. Because I had it before and now I don't have the night. And, oh, nights. And I was like, oh. Anyway, I was dying to go to the loo. And uh, we were in the West End. So I popped into a department store to go to the loo. And... Um, on the way back out, I just happened to pass the Clinique counter. And so now I, it reminded me that I was running out of a firming night cream, which I'd invested quite a lot into. Like, okay, so I don't know if you know much about firming night creams, but if you miss one night, it's not as good. I mean, and I was running... Lo- uh, uh, I don't want to say I needed to take back the night cream, but I... <laughs> I, I just thought, oh, well, I'll just while I'm here, because, you know, you don't get into the West End all the time, then you run out, and then you end up sort of, you know, just slapping a bit of body lotion on or something. I thought, oh, no, well, I'm here. I might as well, you know, I might as well. So I just thought, quickly stop. So I said to the lady, can I have the firming night cream? And she said, well, actually, we've got a new extra strength firming night cream now, which has got greater properties. And she actually said, it turns light into energy and back into light again. And I thought, I thought light was energy. I just, I'm confused. So I stopped and I said, oh, well, what does it do? And will it firm my skin? You know, she, oh, yes, it will be much better. And then she said, but you've got some dark circles around your eyes. And I said, well, I haven't had a lot of sleep because I was, you know, had to get up early for this march. And she said, look, I've got something for that that would be really good that goes with the firming night cream and the properties work together in harmony. And she said, look, do you mind if I just take your makeup off and I'll just show you the build and then I can sort of, you know, I'll do with just a little bit of, we've got a new night foundation that'd be quite nice on your skin because I think what you're using currently might be giving you a little breakout and I was like oh okay okay as long as it's no. by the time I left the department store the march was gone and it was gone like the whole march was gone I feel like some of you are judging me now I didn't have any friends on the march and so this lady was being a friend to me <laughs> She has her bills to pay, and she was on commission or something, probably your sales target. So it was an act of feminism in itself <laughs> to stop and listen to her and to help her through that day, which she had to get through. To, it's hard to say I took back the night, but probably some of the early evening periods. <laughs> I took back probably between 6 and 6.30 during the winter months or something like that. I don't know what I took back, I'll be honest with you. But what I have learnt of recent times is that I need, my activism needs to be a lot more active, not just for me and for the women I know, but for women who are less privileged, women who can't march, women who don't have a voice. And so what I'm saying is, I make this commitment here to you, that my activism will now be standing up on two feet. It won't just be on Facebook. And the night better fucking watch out. <laughs> <laughs> This is part two of activism. Please welcome back our guests, Agata Chanatsa. Hello. 
Aisha Hazarika. I'm here with my guest co-host, Sarah Pascoe. I'm Deborah Francis-White, and you're listening to The Guilty Feminist. This is the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. So, Aisha, hello. Hi. Hi. Were you on the march on the weekend? Um, I was on the march, but I did a really bad guilty feminist thing. Oh, tell us. Which was, we'd sort of been queuing for quite a long time. And then we went on the march, and I got a bit of a stitch, and my knee was really sore. And in our section of the march, people were singing the Matilda song. And at the end it goes, sometimes you've just got to be a little bit naughty. And then me and my friend went to the Wolseley for lunch. I thought you'd appreciate that. I feel a lot I better about the I think feminism takes, you know, many guises, basically. <laughs> One of them is in the Wolsey. There was a lot of women in the Wolsey. <laughs> yeah, actually, we should talk about this, because this was my challenge, was to organise a guilty feminist group to go on the march. Because I'd been on a march before, but I hadn't organised a group. And so I said, if anyone wants to come... And a lot of people came out who said they wouldn't have otherwise come. You know, they felt a bit nervous going on their own, you know, if you've never done it before and you don't know what to expect. And they said the fact that there was a group that they identified with, that they felt there was going to be an army there and they wanted to march with us. So that was amazing. And some of them, we couldn't even find them because when I got there, I'd said this very specific spot and they were expecting fifteen to 20,000 people to come out. 100,000 people came out, which was so exciting. But that meant we couldn't find anyone. So for a long time, I was just standing there on my own with my sign. My sign's there, actually. Can you just pick it up? So this was my sign and I thought, oh, shit, it's just going to be just me and this is the worst challenge ever. Um, the sign says um, unexplained public laughter disrupts the patriarchy <laughs> and uh, that's because people always say I was listening to the podcast on the tube and I started laughing and people were staring at me and I always think good because they're going to be like why is that woman so happy <laughs> when she's earning so much less than the man next to her <laughs> she shouldn't be funny she's got no right she shouldn't be, shouldn't, shouldn't be happy so, uh, so I was standing there with that sign and another sign that was a double version of that on my own. So I, I clearly had signs for three and I was one and I thought, God, we're going to look so unpopular. And then people started coming up saying, I found you, I found you. And it was really, really exciting. Then we were there for an hour because it was, right? Because it was meant to leave. And then somebody just said, do you think everyone's waiting for everyone else to march? <laughs> and I said, no, there's got to be a grown-up in charge. There must be someone... And someone said, what if we just stand here till nightfall and no one ever marches? <laughs> and I said, I just really believe in grown-ups. I just said we should meet near the Women's Equality Party because I thought, well, I can follow them because I just thought, you know, I'm meant to be this sort of march within a march leader. And I thought, oh, you know, this is ludicrous. I mean, so I thought, well, I'll follow the Women's Equality Party. Of course, we couldn't really find where they were. So we just sort of, at some point, people started marching and everyone cheered. And I mean, I say marching, it was more of a shuffle uh, <laughs> because there were so many people, which was great. But then, because we'd taken off so late and it was such a slow march, here's the thing. I had to do an episode of Global Pillage, which had been scheduled in ages before and, you know, there were people turning up. So about halfway to Trafalgar Square, I looked at my watch and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to go. So I just had to give my sign to somebody else and say, hey, guys, do you mind marching to Trafalgar Square as the Guilty Feminist Troop without me? And I felt a bit like Moses saying, let my people go, getting to the Red Sea and going, sorry, guys, I've got a gig. <laughs> do you mind just sort of someone else opening the Red Sea? Like, because I'm like, I'm sure it'll work. 
I'm going to give you my staff. I've just got to, sorry, I've got to go and do 15 minutes down the frog and bucket. So that basically is how it went. But I felt really great. I was cold because I hadn't brought a coat because I thought it's going to be really... Everyone was cold. I, well, last time I was too hot because I'd worn a coat. So I thought, oh, I won't wear a That's coat. That's because you were in Debenhams at the Clinique. <laughs> <laughs> heating in there <laughs> so I thought well I'll just sort of there'll be so many people and we'll be marching so I didn't wear a coat or a jacket and I had no gloves and when I got back I had to put my hands under the hot water because I couldn't move them in any conceivable way and I thought no it's good to be uncomfortable because that's the fucking point is that there are a lot of people who are less comfortable than you all of the time who live less comfortably than you so next time I go on a march I'm going to give myself a disability like a stone in my shoe or something <laughs> I think it's a, I'm not really but I, I probably, oh I probably won't wear not I, it's like walking past a homeless person going don't worry I've taken my hat off <laughs> <laughs> no I'm kidding I, was, I am being right but I think there was something about being cold that actually was kind of it made it feel a bit more marchy so that was my challenge Sarah? So, yeah, so my challenge was to... Well, I wanted to go on this march. And this is the first time I've ever wanted to go on a march. I am a wimp. I am scared of big crowds. I've always been intimidated by this kind of thing. But I definitely, definitely, definitely knew I wanted to be part of it. And that's because I felt like it was so much about women being able to communicate with each other all over the world. I found the day very emotional. I think too much. I didn't quite realise I was waiting at Finsbury Park Station and I saw a little girl with a mum or a carer and they both had signs and then I was like, oh, I'm crying <laughs> and that's all I'm going to do all day now. I am so moved by people's hope, people's bravery, people's creativity. I loved everything that people had made and I loved their glee at showing it to you or standing and letting you take a picture of them. I loved it when I heard, like, the groups within groups, there were students and there were different organisations who would create their own chants and other people. My friend, it was her birthday and a thousand people sang happy birthday to her while she was on. I know. Like, just this crazy thing because her friend started singing happy birthday and then everyone was just joining in as far as you could see. Also, I overestimated the amount of people because I haven't been on a rally before because I kept looking, as we were going, I kept looking at BBC website going, when are they going to say how many people are here I bumped into Rod Gilbert and he was like oh it's busy and I thought and I was like there's like six million people <laughs> like six like I kept looking in both directions like we're so far away from Trafalgar Square and it's the whole way there and he was like mm. <laughs> I was like six million I think <laughs> I think so I've counted um, my favorite thing there was a woman there there was lots of favorite things there was a woman who was like, trying to say hello to everyone she was just going up to everyone and saying, oh, hello, nice to see you. No, I love it. I love it so much. She just set herself this intention. And also there were so many people there who were on their own and split off from people. And the problems I had, number one, also 10,000 steps. Easy, mate, that day. <laughs> no one tells you that about marches. Excellent. For the, excellent on the old pedometer. Um, I had really, really bad period pain. And that was my one thing. I was looking around at everyone going, come on, right? There's so many women here and so many women have periods I was trying to work out like maybe one fifth of women at any time would be menstruating why is everyone else fine like why is, why is no one else like, I had diarrhea I had to keep stopping in places and again like I wanted to tell people like well, this is why I'm crying all the time it's not just that I'm proud of you um, <laughs> but then what's been interesting since so number one I didn't realise that there was an appropriation of the names of black marches I didn't know that until afterwards and I find that very interesting because even as involved as I was that hadn't occurred to me until someone shares an article and that is what's, what's brilliant about the internet for everything that I said derisively before and also there was a lot of genital references and I found it quite energizing i felt like oh actually he made this really horrible comment about grabbing a woman by her genitals and there's this kind of reclamation of now we're using that word a lot there's a lot of women out now in public with no prudery with 
pictures of uteruses and genitals and different words for it and, and puns on power and vagina. And I thought all of that was great. And so then again, today, reading articles written by people about how there are women who don't have female genitals and you exclude them from something, not from any kind of nastiness. With all of this well-meaning and we are sharing something, we also are saying to them, this is what a woman is and it has a vagina. And actually it is and it's bigger than that. And so, and then I was wondering, like, oh, isn't it awful? Because you'd be celebrating this thing and then realise and then correct and then what do we do and how do we phrase things? I mean, there are ways of being more inclusive and being better. That's the thing. I thought the day was so fantastic. But then actually the learning thing for me has been all of this stuff afterwards where we can still get things wrong. Is that, I know that's yes, not a very or, positive thing to say. No, no, I think, I think it what? is. Okay, you get things wrong, and then what? Well, I, actually, what's, what's important is that you get them. Just go there. You were asking about the next date. I have one for you. It's the 8th of March, uh, International <laughs> yeah. Women's Day, and we are going to make some kind of an international women's strike, so we can join, I think. Are you going to strike again? Well, everybody is. Everybody is. <laughs> Shall we strike here? Shall we try and do an outrage here and try and strike? Why not? But what are we asking for? That's what I need to know because I feel like with Trump, like with what you were asking for is we don't want this bill passed. What the suffragettes were saying is we want the vote. And I feel like protesting against Trump, well, we want our rights to be here, not to be taken from us. But partly the protest against Trump, which is brilliant for building community, is slightly, we want to turn back time and for people not to vote for Trump. And we want not to have him in the White House for four years. So what do we ask for if we strike? Do you see what I mean? Generally, I believe that it's good to have an issue, a problem or a thing to solve Mm. and not a person to combat. Uh, Then uh, I believe that it's better to smash a window than somebody's skull. Uh, good, 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 good note. <laughs> Guilty feminists at home. Rule yeah. for life, that is. I think that's yeah. Yeah. It's a kind of, you know, vegan yeah. feminism. Yeah. Mm. And so I was going to say, this, I, I meant to say this as well about the march. I think whenever we blame one bad person for something, when they disappear, we wonder why the world hasn't improved. And I think that there's a system that's wrong. There's a system that got Trump elected. There's a system of people working with him. It's bigger than just him. Like if someone assassinated him, the problem hasn't gone. Mm. Alicia, how do you feel about this? Well, I think the march was incredible. And the thing that I was struck by is how angry certain men got about the march. I mean, Piers Morgan, a guy who is so far up the back passage of Donald Trump, he can actually see Nigel Farage's shoes. much does this guy want a TV show in America and, and please go there but please just take him but, but the thing but also they were quite sensible commentators as well saying things like Trump has happened because of identity politics and I really really push back against that because all the rights we fight for whether it's gender equality whether it's race equality LGBT equality disability rights, they are all part of the same family. And when you try and put them into a hierarchy, I think that is very, very divisive. And what people are doing now is they're putting white working class pitted Mm. against everything else. And I think that is really, really dangerous. But in terms of the march, it was brilliant. It was great. It was energising. We were all connected. My only criticisms of it, 
as a woman of colour, as a Muslim woman, it was a little bit like a Glastonbury gender mm. politics there. And, and that is still a good thing. But I'd like to see our movement sort of reach out a bit more in terms of race, in terms of religion, in terms of class as How well. How do we do that, Aisha? Because it's so sensitive. Like I was saying about including more to Sarah, and she was like, but some people of colour will say, you know, I don't want to be included in your patronising thing. Is that I want my like, own... When people complained about the march... So the feminist organisers, many of whom are white women, were like, why are they having us? You can be part of our march. Exactly. Like, oh, we weren't asking, oh, you didn't invite us to your march. Like, it has to address everyone's issues and acknowledge sometimes they are different. Don't, like, slot us in. You can have a place in our Mm. thing. But also, I think it's a bit like a failure of politics. We sometimes would say, well, people need to come to us in terms of politics. But actually, if you want to be political, you have to also go out and find people in their worlds. Because often the lowest paid women, many of whom are BME women, often they don't have the time mm. to come mm. to a march or, you know, take the whole day off. Who's gonna... So it's what AJ was saying about the suffragettes, that a lot of them mm. were posh because they could afford to go to jail for five so days. And, my, and my, I think strikes. the thing we've got to do is the march has got to be the starting point of our activism, not just been having a day out and uh, seriously doing all the Facebook stuff. It's like, how do we really get active? And also, how do we get power, proper power because if you don't want to see eight smirking men in a room signing off executive orders over your ovaries you've got to get women into that room and you've got to get women into the levers of power as well and I think we've all got to support and encourage women to get involved in politics at every single level and that is the stuff which is really really hard work it's not fun it can be quite lonely it's incredibly abusive particularly on the online space but I think as somebody who has worked in politics until you actually get women into positions of power that is when you can start to really see things changing and that's what we've got to aim for and having one female prime minister great that we've got a female prime minister i think it's great we've got a leader in scotland but remember one woman at the top does not a feminist make and what really disappointed me about what theresa theresa may was asked on andrew marr on sunday morning the political show are you going to raise this stuff with donald trump and she said actually the biggest symbol is going to be me being in the room being a female leader well i'm sorry that is not good enough just being adjacent and female yeah it's just the minimum requirement yeah just having a womb and being in the room is not the kind of and the thing about feminism is it's not just like hey i'm a woman and i got to the top it's when you get your power and your status do you give voice to women who have no voice that is i think the test for feminism yeah. And going to the Wolseley for lunch. Agatha? Yeah, a Polish <laughs> Prime Minister is a woman. Uh, the one that wanted to, the ban of, on, on abortion. So, you mm. know, you can have very conservative women too. Mm. Uh, and they have a right to be conservative, as far as I am concerned. Only if you are creating this kind of energy that raises people up to the top. And you don't have to be that person that is going to the top. But your energy is guiding them. And this is why you have to engage. You have to be... You know, I do it for, like, almost 20 years. And we started as a very, very, very narrow circle of academics. And we were just thinking about, oh, gender studies, something imported from the West. Well, very interesting. Uh, What are we going to do with this? (laughs) And, And then Poland entered European Union. And we actually had, finally... Uh, this kind of 
directive, European directive on gender equality, European directive or on uh, combating discrimination, etc., etc. And that was a huge thing. And I'm, it is exactly. I'm sure you'd never give that up. <laughs> well, on the other hand, you can forget that it's there, because well, people tend to forget that their situation is not a given. It's a kind of recreating itself all the time, thanks to certain institutions that are in place, traditions that are in place, certain impulses to control other people to do this. Like, look at the hands of your politicians, but also look into the directives, European directives, read them carefully, uh, see what they are about, and write it down in a very simple manner, and hand out the leaflets, so that everybody knows that this is what we can lose because of Brexit. Uh, so people would know what they are fighting for. So these are the rights we're going to lose, and these are the ones we need to ask to be reinstated when Brexit happens, because it looks like Brexit is going yeah, to happen. Yeah, just read what you are going to lose and reclaim it back. So, and, and if they won't give it to us, can we have an outrage? <laughs> can, we have, can we strike? Well, I hope so. I certainly, <laughs> certainly hope so. You may need to come and guide us on day one. Um, well, I can do that. How? Yeah. <laughs> Also, I think we should say as well, just the Women's Equality Party, for anyone in a really early stage of this, like myself, number one, after the march, they wrote ten things for us to think about and things to do, So because they, they wanted to use that energy for people who go home and go, but yeah, we know that's the beginning, not the end. And I feel like they are an unfunded party. They were offered millions of pounds from someone, which is what they need to run. They need millions of pounds to fundraise, but only if they change the name to not mention women. <laughs> I know, I know, because they were like, this is so great, and you're the only person talking about this, and this is so sensible, and this needs to happen. You're a viable party, but not with that name. So I think they're a really important part of this next stage as well, in terms of the organisation, especially with EU directives. There are things that we could improve, even, if we're very, very clear about what we want and what is better for us. Can I also just make one thing on that, which is I think we should all be focusing on really being clear about what are the rights that we want to protect and campaigning with them. And there is a fantastic woman, Frances O'Grady, who is head of the trade union Congress movement, and they have been doing loads of work about this as well. So I think we should all be kind of joining forces because a lot of work has started mm -hmm. on all of this stuff. Yeah. The trade union movement should be a big part of it in terms of sort of low-paid women and rights for women as well. But I think what we've got to do more on the left and progressive politics is sort of organise ourselves in a sharper yeah. way mm. because I think that is what the right have been doing for quite a long time. And, you know, it used to be the case that people say, look, the left are all about emotion, but I think actually the right now have combined yeah. mm -hmm. quite a dangerous level of uh, emotions and uh, misinformation, mm -hmm. playing into anxiety, and they've also become very, very well organised. And I think yeah. we as progressives need to do that as I, well. I think going back to something you, you said in the last episode... And I think you've made me understand something so much better. You need to have the policy and the adverts. Like you have yeah. the, now, the right have got that because their advertising is fantastic. It's like, you're going to get your country back. Make America great again. You've got this advert. So if someone's zoning in for two seconds, OK, I'll vote for that one. Whereas the left, we haven't got an advert. All we keep saying is like, no. 
Like, yeah, well, you won't no get means your country no. back. You won't make America great again. And we have to have something. We do need to come up with something. My friend pointed out to me, she's mm. American, and she was really worried about Clinton not getting elected. And she said, well, I think Trump ran on a platform of exclusion. It was all build a wall, keep him out. These are the people we're going to exclude. And I think Michelle Obama is incredible on inclusion yes. and making everyone yeah. feel included. And Hillary Clinton was saying inclusive things, but she didn't really look fully convinced she was included. You can't get other people into a party you're not invited to. But the slogan that my friend, who's very brilliant, pointed out to me, the problem with the slogan was it was, I'm with her, and it should have been, she's with us. Uh, and, she, and, and, and if that had been the case, rather than, oh, well, I'm with Hillary Clinton, well, people yes. go, well, I'm not sure I'm with Hillary Clinton because I've got issues with yes. her foreign policy yeah. and yeah. I've got issues with her history and I've got issues with her. I don't know if I can say I'm with her. And that was a big problem. Whereas if she was with us... You know, and she's going to fight for us. That's the kind of thing we need to be thinking about, though. Why didn't somebody tell her that? Because she's got a lot of brilliant people around her. She spent fortunes on her campaign. And I think with the Women's Equality Party, we need to be showing up and we need to be helping out and we need to be doing stuff. questions because I can feel questions bristling in the audience. People have just started putting their hands up saying I was promised questions. Where the fuck is my question? Okay, so there's someone in the front row who couldn't contain the question. Hi, um, I was really intrigued about what your definition of activism was because obviously in the first part we were talking a lot about violence and terrorism and that kind of stuff. And after Brexit, I really felt that my activism was activated. And the way I did that was by joining the Women's Equality Party, looking for some grown-ups. Um, and not only joining, so therefore taking my vote away from the other main political parties, but I'm now very actively involved in my local branch. I'm looking at local issues that are important to our members and turning that into policy up in, uh, up in the party, making sure that national campaigns and national party policy is filtering back down to people in... Lewisham and Greenwich and um, <laughs> so I was yeah the kind of just what your definition of activism was because to me that was activism yeah that is activism that's, yeah, that's no. the very it's, definition of it yeah AJ what do you think activism is change. I'm a complete technophobe so I don't even have a smartphone so for me it's not collectivism <coughs> as they call it it is engaging yeah. with people in whatever and that can be a conversation among friends as you were saying or you know it can be marching it's funny, in, in Scotland we have a series of organisations aimed at getting another referendum about independence. I'm not a political meeting person, so I am, I'm probably a writing, talking person rather than a sitting in a meeting person. But that's playing to your strengths, isn't it? If yeah. you're a writer, write stuff and get it out there. If you're a grassroots person who can go out and hand out leaflets or you can run for office or do the thing that you do well... But how, much, how important do you think community is? Agatha, you were saying that you think community is very important. Well, yes, and you're being open to other people because, well, the first thing we have is this tendency to be solitary. Uh, a lot of us are not exactly comfortable with crowds or just a lot of other people, and we are not accustomed to assert our opinions. Well, I'd say, uh, if you're going to be an activist, first of all, check what you are doing. Then recheck it against the reality that you live in. Sometimes, you know, you just don't battle for rights that are not applicable. Be an activist first intellectually, then conversationally, and then be an activist on the street, and then try to organise. And then, if it doesn't work, like it didn't with the suffragettes, yeah. then smash some windows, please. <laughs> 
Aisha, what do you think activism is to you? Well, I, again, probably because I've come from a very political background, but I go back to this thing about actually we have to get people into power. My great worry at the moment is we're going to be in a one-party state in this country for the foreseeable Mm. future, and that is so dangerous on so many levels because the clock is turning back in this country on all the rights that we've been talking about. So for me, I think activism is trying to do what you can to support winning power and that can be from a grassroots level and coming up and doing lots of good things in the community as well but ultimately I would say first of all to vote yourselves I know those people that didn't vote in the referendum and are now going I can't believe the vote didn't go the right way it's like well you know um and I'd also say if you know people who are standing for office or you know support them as well we are a country that has a very healthy disrespect for politics right the mainstream politics and that is really good but beware skepticism turning into absolute contempt for everyone in politics when you sort of say to people give up on mainstream politics that is where the dangerous kind of extremist stuff comes in and not every politician i mean i'm a big fan of the women and equality party but not every politician in every other party is a total shitbag Right. Lots of politicians in other parties are trying to do the right thing as well. So I suppose I think this country is so divided at the moment that we are in a very, very dangerous place where people will give up on politics and populism becomes the really attractive thing. If you care about democracy, then do your bit to also stand up for democracy, whatever party you're going to vote for, unless it's UKIP, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Do we have another question? Hey. Loads of questions, yes. Yeah, um, I was really interested to hear what you were saying about the left and how it's become all about the white working class and it refuses to kind of identify with any other issue or oppression. I guess I'm wondering whether you think that that's become a particular issue recently, whether that's resurged on the left, given that it's quite embattled at the moment in the UK, um, and what you think we can do to try and reach out to the left and, and transform it and make it take seriously both issues of gender but race and, and other oppressions as well. So the problem is that the left started to think that those things weren't very popular with the voters they were trying to attract. So they stopped mentioning things that would be more divisive or would require more conversation. They just started to be very quiet. And I think that's why that's happened, isn't it? I mean, I understand things very simplistically, so I might be completely wrong. And please, someone jump in and correct me when I am. But it seemed like, oh, so there was a small percentage of people that suddenly were voting for this new party, which was UKIP, which had these things about kind of anti-immigration. Then Labour would have these mugs kind of looking as if they were trying to entice those people. Like they were trying to, oh, it's only a few thousand, but that might make a difference. So they were kind of like chasing like what the other party's saying because they were really scared of standing up for anyone who seemed to be a minority or not important in terms of winning a majority. And then what they did is they alienated everyone. Because like, who wants yeah. to be part of that? It's interesting. Sarah, before on her stand-up, was talking about not wanting to be angry about stuff. And I see people on Twitter very, very angry. And I think sometimes there is destructive anger But I have friends who are people of colour who say to me, not being angry seems like a luxury. Mm. It's like, oh, if you're white and middle class and you've got some cash to spend Mm. and you've kind of got most of your choices, then you just, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? And it's like, well, 
because I've been routinely and systemically yeah. marginalised and there is no other option than anger. No, I think you're right. I think, especially on my job, I have a mouthpiece. I literally have amplification when I'm at work. So, of course, I'm like, let's just all talk calmly, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, so, no, that's absolutely a fucking right. great when point, I'm saying, actually. like, oh, let's not raise our voices like <laughs> to other people who are like, how will you hear me if I don't? Mm. So you're absolutely right, and it's a good reminder. So I think that politics has failed everybody actually apart from a nice group of elite people at the top Kel Surprise um, and I have been spending quite a lot of time going to places which voted to leave which are labour heartlands and just sort of trying to kind of unpick what is going on and I think the problem is this so many different bits of society feel left behind because they kind of have been and even, you know, 50 minutes on a train outside London, there, I mean, there is poverty and, and lack of opportunity in London, we all know that, but go outside London and you see it so acutely. So I think the problem is, in really crude terms, not just the white working class, but also the BME working class and the working classes in general have had a really crap time for quite a long time. Since the crash, everybody said, oh, after the crash, you know, we we're going to rebuild the society and make it much fairer. That didn't happen. After the crash, most people haven't seen their wages rise. And the only people that are having a really nice time are all the bankers and the people at the top. So for a lot of people, they saw the Brexit vote as a chance to say, you know what, I've, I've had it with like established politics and people saying to me, I'm going to be worse off because I've been worse off now for years and years and years. So I think the way for the left to re-energise itself is to be completely clear about its values, which is standing up for all types of discrimination and promoting all kinds of um, equality, but also not being scared of the concerns that quite a lot of working class communities have because a lot of the fear underpinning all the pressures about immigration and fear of the other is a lack of investment and lack of opportunity and until we kind of address and talk honestly with people about how they feel but also address their concerns we're never going to make any progress and the left is leaving a really big space in lots of particularly Yorkshire and Northern heartlands which are Labour safe seats for UKIP to come in, because lots of Labour voters who've been Labour supporters all their life feel that politicians are too scared to come and talk to them because they think everybody is a racist. And that's what we've got to be careful as well, not letting the pendulum swing completely mm -hmm. the other way. I agree. When I hear that sort of like, oh, well, they're all racist, they're all racist, I just think it's not going to fix the problem to just go, yeah. and everybody the, who voted for Trump or Brexit And I think racist. for quite a lot of people, it's just the rate of change that they've seen in their towns and their communities, which they... So for us, when we see everything, like, changing in London, it generally tends to get better. So you're like, oh, look, there's a new faux restaurant at the end of my street, or there's a new puppy Pilates class, like, opening kind of around the... It's all, like, really exciting. Yeah, that is good, that is good. Whereas if you're somewhere else, it's like, it is good. I don't have a dog, I go, it's really good. Um, but if is you're someone... Is with a dog? Sorry, don't really Yeah, I just made that up, to be honest. It's just a comedy, I just It'll made it up. It will make it up. I think someone idea. should get on that, make a puppy Pilates but class. But if you're somewhere outside London and you see yeah. your town change, it's like, oh, look, that's the high street gone, that is another mm. pub shutting... That's another pawn shop. You know, it, so we've got to go out and talk to people about what their concerns are, but, but be really strong about what we believe in and what our values are. Mm. Do we have another question? 
I feel like we've got yes, just loads. Um, yeah, hi. Um, so my question was earlier when you talked about adjacent activism, um, and whilst I'm a feminist, I'm also three glasses of rosé down. So um, <laughs> let's bear that in mind. Yeah. Um, so you were saying earlier on about how um, on the march, I was on the march on Saturday, that we it was it was very much like a Glastonbury thing going on, um, and how it's well, where the people of BME, of which I'm one. Can we just define that? Because I think if some people are listening at home are not going to know that acronym. I'm one of the ethnics. <laughs> I'm one of the half ethnics, so I can straddle and choose which I'm going to use depending on the time of day. So um, one of the things that you were saying about is that, you know, where were the people who were not of white middle class descent? Um, and, you know, it's everyone was there on the march. Um, but they probably couldn't afford to be or they're probably more likely to be in lower pay. Have you ever considered the fact that actually they might be saying where the fuck are you when we were LGBT and we were on our Pride March or when we were on our Black Lives Matter March? Because you're a panel, 20% of you has identified as being BME, 80% have not. Um, and you're saying, but we probably couldn't afford to come out on the march. Mm. So I'm no, just you're absolutely so, right. It's a, it's a really good careful. point, though. Especially we're aware of being careful because in a very well-meaning discussion, one of the things that was mentioned is that actually in terms of economics is really, really relevant in terms of something like this because you have to take a day out and someone has to look after your children if you have them. Da, da, da. And so you're absolutely right. It's that thing, again, of always then validating and making sure that the point was clear. That's another factor rather than... Oh, one of the things you said was, how can we include these people? Oh, no, mm. there were people Not there they were how angry. can we immerse ourselves in the bigger picture? You yeah. said, how can we include them? So you were, again, you said about yeah. the Thatcher thing in Britain, not Thatcher, how old am I? Um, about, bringing, <laughs> about bringing, you know, Clinton. Yeah. Um, but you said, how can we include them? Not, how can I take myself to this community? How can I I think that is absolutely mm. spot yeah, on. Right. That's yeah. absolutely spot on. And also, it's not just, as you say, about the economics. It's also some of the stuff about the cultural stuff, like... We, as a kind of a class of female activists, which is a bit middle class and white, not there's anything wrong with that, it's cultural to go out and, and do a march. For lots of communities, it just wouldn't be. So are we like, OK, if you don't come on our march, you're not part of this. You know, if I spoke to my mum about doing a march, she'd be like, what? <laughs> just going out and queuing for a day? Because it's just not in her culture. To, but that doesn't mean she's any less desire to get involved in activism. But you're right, we've got to go out into other communities and see how it fits in with other mm. people. I find it really hard, though, because I wanted to go on the Black Lives Matter march, and I read an article which said, it was from a person of colour who said, please do not upstage this, please do not come down. These are the things you can do to help people of colour. One of them is not coming and liberaling all over our march and sort of going or patting yourself on the back for coming out in the march. It's not for you. And so I didn't go because I read that. And then someone else will go, where were you when the Black Lives Matter march was on? I was like, I'm trying to do the right thing. Okay. And, and like, you know, like the, the, the pussy power yeah. thing. And then the transgender community will go, well, you're implying that if you don't have yeah. a vagina, you're not a woman. It's like, well, no, actually... It's a direct response to Trump talking about grabbing pussies. Can we never mention the vagina or we're excluding? So it's, it is complex, and I feel all the time like I'm not getting it right. And does anyone else feel like they're kind of constantly fucking up? Yes. Oh, thank God, because I genuinely do feel all the time like no matter how hard I try, I'm getting it wrong. But Can I identify myself? Well, I'm Polish. So it is a little bit complicated here because I look white, but I'm uh, actually... Uh, my minority here in Great Britain has gotten some hardship recently. Mm, mm. And actually, some even say that Brexit is all about, well, Polish people. Well, which I'm very, very sorry if we were nasty to you. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> well, we try. I can, I can assure you, we try all the time. This is what Polish people do. I'm, I come from a part of the world that was never attractive enough to attire people of color. <laughs> On the other hand, we are exporting a lot of white people to good. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, please think about it. It's a great lesson, I think, that sometimes those tiny little differences are pretty much hidden from us. It's not in the plain sight. And in such a way, I really admire and I'm a little bit jealous of people who look different and, well, you don't have to explain yourself all the time. I know it sounds harsh, but this is how I feel being Polish are in you, Great Britain. Are you leaving because you've got a train or because you're Polish and you're upset? <laughs> Please don't be outraged. This is the most stressful episode we've ever done. Like, our, our, you know what they're like normally. They're kind of fun and they're like things about like you know dating or you know. And we're trying to go to these places and we're trying to be more intersectional. We're trying to talk about more important things. And I find it very stressful because I'm like, is everyone having a good time? Oh God! I think what it is, it's just a bit more inclusion. Mm. It doesn't have to be pitch perfect. It's just a bit more inclusion. Like, look at how many prominent black or Asian faces you see on television, particularly mm -hmm. women, hardly any. Look at how many prominent black and Asian women there are in politics, like senior levels, hardly any. So I think what black and Asian and minority ethnic women just want is just invite them in, and you don't have to get it completely right, but just extend the invitation and, oh. and, and be willing to go out and, and talk. What was that? Well, I mean, it's just like, I, I would have gotten, but I only happened to go, because I happened to see it in Facebook, that's why I went. I did see it in England, so, you know, I went. And I'm mixed-raised, and I went because I wanted to go. And I think the fact that there was so much humour made it really strong for me. Keep making your message, <coughs> making it inclusive, making people laugh, showing your intelligence, showing your character, that way. Thank you. I really wish you'd said that into the microphone so that we could have it on the podcast. <laughs> Loads of people have questions. Could we do like four rapid fire questions, like really quickly? Yes, somebody there? Hello. Yes. Um, I want to comment about Sarah saying about not being sure yeah. before going to the march and about you saying about uh, being scared about offending people. Mm. Um, I won't call myself a, an activist. I'm kind of a, like accidental activist just because I tick a lot of boxes. But... I've been to marches where I was uncomfortable with the people around me because they were more left-wing or more, you know, they had a different agenda. The whole idea is to go out when you feel in the pit of your stomach that there is something you want to say. And you have to remember that it's not just, for example, it's not just the Polish government yeah. that was the intended audience. It was also the people outside that was mm -hmm. looking in. So when we go on LGBT marches... It's not just about talking to the government. It's about talking to the people on the outside yes. who are LGBT, Great. who are feeling empowered. So we don't have to be sure. Somebody behind you? Hi. Um, I'm a journalist. My job is writing about Trump. I wake up every day and by 11 a.m. there are 10 things every day that make me want to cry. By the end of the day, I don't have the emotional energy. I feel like I don't have the emotional energy to be an activist. And every single day is grinding me down in such a way that I just want to... So now, and I know that that's not just me. So as some professional activists, how do you not let that get to you when every single day it's getting worse? Agatha? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. This emotional energy. I think you have to redirect it from hopelessness to hope. 
first of all, uh, then you have to put whatever effort you can in every single line of your writing. I am a writer too. And then again, just grab as much energy from people around you. Uh, like, don't uh, let the things get to you. Like, mm. okay, you're Polish and then nobody understands you. Uh, well, <laughs> well, yes, maybe they don't understand you, but they don't, it doesn't mean that they mean you harm, that they don't like you. They just don't understand you. You can mm. explain a bit. You can simplify a bit. You can meet them halfway. We should um, also say some people are disabled and they can't, and I just always am aware of that. So sometimes people write in and go, you know, you're talking about what you can do, and there are some people that just can't, but yeah. they do what I they think, can. I think you have to develop some kind of naivety. You have to believe the best in the people. For example, well, Donald Trump, he's, and well, sometimes he's... Uh, Horrendous. Sorry, I'm lacking words uh, in English. We're but, all lacking words uh, for Donald Trump. Yeah, but Nothing maybe to do with his childhood was just so breaking. Maybe he was just, you know, such a lonely, lonely, lonely child. Oh, fuck no. him. Sorry. I hear what you're saying, Agatha, I do, but we've got to take another question. Hi, sorry, quick question. Um, so I'm approaching my mid-twenties, and uh, there was talk earlier about... Um, <laughs> there was talk earlier about um, politics failing people. But I feel that there's a failure in education to talk about politics. When I went to school, there was no formal education on politics until you were in sixth form, and then it was, OK, I'll take the politics A-level if I'm going to go into politics, which I wasn't. So I kind of feel like... I'm at this stage and I still have absolutely no sort of ground level knowledge of sort of unbiased political stances. Where do you start? Where do you find... AJ, should we be teaching young women about suffragettes when they're at school and young men, young well, boys? Well, I mean, certainly in Scotland they do. It's absolutely central to the curriculum. Yeah, they are. Well, maybe that's why Scotland's more politically activated. Mm. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I think it's really interesting listening to you talking about people feeling... Not apathetic, but feeling they've got no hope in politics. Because when we had that referendum about the Scottish Parliament, the turnout mm. was extraordinary and everybody mm. was energised. I mean, I'd actually written a book 12 months before, which was about how nobody was engaged in politics <laughs> anymore. So the last laugh was on me. But, I mean, it does... Bastards all came out, <laughs> undermined your book sales. Uh, take... Things can change with the right issue, that's what I'm saying. Things can only get better. Remember when that was true. <laughs> Hello. Um, I've noticed that most people in the audience are under the age of about 40. We haven't really spoken about age. Um, but <laughs> I know that my parents are kind of disengaged. My grandparents are very, like, disillusioned. How do we engage people that are older than us? Here. <laughs> I think we do need to reach out a bit. I feel our demographic is quite young um, and quite youthful, and we do need to reach out a bit. So if you, if you are over 45 and you've, and you've come out, thank you, bring more people who are over 45. So we, you did? She did. She did. What do you want? What do you want? The baby boomers were all out in the 60s. Maybe some of them feel like they've done their bit, you know, in the yeah, 60s. But what was that? It's her 40th birthday present. Is it your 40th birthday wow. present? Oh, yeah. Happy Are we birthday, birthday to birthday you. Birthday <laughs> wow. It's her 59. Oh. <laughs> wow. Is this, are, we, are we a birthday? Is this? 
this your birthday present? Because it has been quite heavy at times. <laughs> I feel a bit bad this has been your birthday present because it's been a lot of work as well. It's not been a lot of... You're not doing enough on your birthday. Um, anybody else? Um, I just wanted to say that about outrageous, you're talking about outrageous, I think Sarah said the most kind of outrageous thing when she talked about having her period. Ashley Judd talked about it on the Women's March about bloodstained sheets. And I think if you want to really outrage and disrupt the patriarchy, openly talking about something like blood <laughs> is an amazing and non-violent way to do it. Thanks. So, so <laughs> if you don't give us Trump. what we want, yeah. we'll yeah. go on and on about our periods. <laughs> and, oh. and, and we'll explain to you what a moon cup is. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> I think we've peaked. That was quite a heavy episode for us. Most of you who listen to the Girls Feminist, you know that. Uh, AJ, do you have anything to plug? Well, my last book, A Petrol Scented Spring, is still on sale. It's really, really interesting. You'll never believe what the suffragettes went through, and you will feel so activated when you read it because you'll think some of it was really hard. They were force-fed, horrible. And uh, I've got a new one out next month called The Daughter of Lady Macbeth. Oh! Um, check those out online. Agatha, do you have anything to plug? Yes, uh, remember the International Day of Women, uh, uh, the 8th of March. Yes. Yes, we, we are ready show. for it. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. All around the world. Seriously, though, we may need you to come back and help us uh, organise some kind well, of strike. Or I'm pretty sure that you could manage on your own, but if you invite... <laughs> we will be inviting you, and we're going to take you to the Wolseley where we will organise it. Yeah, uh, I really need to check that out. the to our own table. Aisha? Uh, I'm doing a stand-up show at the Soho Theatre from the 18th of April. Um, it's called State of the Nation, and it's all about my time in politics, feminism, and how we lost the plot. Wow. We have got to go and see that. Shall we do a group Guilty Feminist trip to see that? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So how many nights are you on? Uh, five. Oh, well, we will sell those out. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Sarah, anything you'd like to plug? Peaceful protest. <laughs> uh, Sarah also has a really brilliant book called Animal, the autobiography of the female body. I'd really recommend that you read it. Thanks, Fran. Thank you to everybody in the audience that commented, that wanted to comment, that asked a question, that turned up, that went on the march, that will go on a march or will do something. I really want to try and do more stuff. I really, really want to try and get off my sofa. If there's only one thing I can do, Aisha, to help include more people of colour... What is it? Invite more women of colour to be on your panel regularly. Here, here. Uh, if there's one thing we can do, Agatha, what is it? Go for a um, march or go for a strike on the 8th of Straight, March. Strike, strike, strike. I'd like to strike. If there's one thing we can do to be more like the suffragettes, AJ, what is it? Get angry. Get angry. <laughs> All right. Well, but, um, be friendly angry with each other on the strike, OK? Okay. <laughs> Don't be angry at Get angry, go on a strike, invite a person of colour to come with you uh, and, and mean it. Okay. Follow The Guilty Feminist on Twitter at guiltfempod. Check out our Instagram, instagram.com forward slash The Guilty Feminist. Like our Facebook page, sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. And please go to iTunes and rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find the podcast. Give us five stars, you bastards. <laughs> To the Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, and guest co host Sarah Pascoe, and our special guests, AJ Close, Agatha Sassiaka, 
and Aisha Hazarika. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Salinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Zoe, Meta, Sally, and everyone at King's Place, as well as all of you for listening. More information about this and other episodes, visit Can, we can um, possibly do it as a pickup, but I'm aware that uh, there's maybe a stressful recording for Sarah, who has got a hard out at 9.45. So, Sarah, can I get you to read the social media bit, and we'll do a, a few things in yes. a different order to accommodate you. Okay, can we do, can we do if can I just do it in this particular order to accommodate Sarah? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I want to do an outrage now. <laughs> Hello, Guilty Feminists. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for all your support over the last year. Now, many of you have expressed a desire to get involved, to make some of these challenges real and alive, especially along the lines of career development, not apologising, stepping into the space. So we have some workshops. Now, these are just the start. We're just testing the waters here in London, and then hopefully we'll be able to bring them around the country and even even wider internationally. The first two will be on the 22nd and 23rd of April. Jessica Regan, who's an actor who was in the Gender Blind Henry V, and I are going to do a workshop on big speeches, uh, male speeches from Shakespeare, speeches from history, taking the space and owning it. You can book for those workshops on guiltyfeminist.com. The price will be £50 for a day workshop but there will be £10 places for those who cannot afford the £50. And please chip in a little bit more for another feminist to join the workshop if you can afford more. We want these to be accessible to everyone and intersectional. Um, we also have more of a corporate leadership day. Many of you know that I go into the corporate world and work with women on taking up the space. So there's going to be a very big leadership event uh, with me speaking and other brilliant people that you can work with. Uh, a special Guilty Feminist episode on negotiation. Uh, with Suzanne Williams, who is uh, well known for negotiating with people who have hostages for the government uh, and for other organisations. And that is going to be an incredible special leadership day. Hopefully you can get your company to sponsor you to come on that if you are in the corporate world. That day will be £195, but again, there'll be £10 places. Please chip in more if you can or pay if you can. If you can't, please write in and you can go on our list for a £10 place. Details of all these things are on Guilty Feminist. Feminist.com.